0: Better Call Saul, Season 2, Episode 4 is over, but we're just getting started here on your Better Call Saul post-show recap, and now here are the guys who are breaking out the extra space blankets tonight. I'm Rob
1: Sestrino. Here is Antonio Mazzaro. Antonio, how are you? Rob, would you like some water? I can get you some tea. Would you like some? Oh, (laughs) extra space blankets for you. Extra space blankets, Rob. How are you? Can I get some cucumber water? Oh, cucumber water for customer only, Rob. Uh. Not for podcaster. Customer only. Come on. Come on. Uh, well, listen, I, I do what I can, but I can only get you a vibrating massage, no cucumber water. Whoa. Okay, I'll take it. Hey, Yeah. extra service tonight, Rob.
0: All right, Antonio. So we are talking about episode number four of Better Call Saul. What is this, gloves come off? Gloves off. Gloves off, okay. Yes. And we are going to be talking about the big confrontation between Mike and Tuco and how Kim Wexler had to pay the price for Jimmy's transgression
1: over at HHM. And let me tell you, uh, that's not Price, the uh, baseball card collector. That is a significant price, something I know a little bit about, Rob, so we can get into that for sure. David Price, baseball card? Not David Price, no. Not Daniel Wormler, a.k.a. Play Price. Not David Price. not, Not the Price is Right, Rob. None of those prices. We're (laughs) This is a heavy price. Price is right is big these days. So I've heard. So I've heard. I've only heard. I've only heard. But I have heard it's big these days, Rob. Come on down. Yeah, they're asking everybody
0: to come on down, except for some people. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about this, Antonio. Of course, uh, we are going to be covering Better Call Saul every episode this season, you could subscribe to our Better Call Saul podcast feed, which I've been seeing floating around in the uh, top charts in uh, TV and film on iTunes. So thank you guys uh, who have been subscribing and leaving us feedback. And star ratings on iTunes at postshowrecaps.com slash BCS iTunes. That's great. Thank you very much. Thank you. So uh, very excited to be back once again to talk about episode number four. So I feel like almost tonight the... Jimmy's story, at least in terms of urgency, really took a backseat to the Mike's story.
1: Yeah. And it's like, so last year, there was the Big Mike-centric episode, five o the one that got them the Emmy nominations for writing, the one that everybody said is probably the best one of the season, the one, Rob, that you were conveniently missing from, and Mike Bloom and I had to talk about last season. Uh, not that I had to. I like Mike Bloom. But five uh, o was the Big Mike-centric episode, uh, Mike Bloom-centric and, and Mike-centric episode last year. And here we are in this season, a Mike-centric episode, but we do get Jimmy in this episode. In 5.0, there was almost no Jimmy. Uh, it was really just all Mike, and he brings in Jimmy a little bit, I think, when you know you need a connection there. But in this episode, there's, there's a half Jimmy. There's a half Jimmy, half Mike, and the stakes are not the same at all. Uh, there are personal relationship stakes, and there are life and death stakes. And that's a very difficult line that this show has struggled with in the past, uh, keeping both stories interesting. And I think what you saw tonight was sort of a pumping of the brakes in the Mike storyline and doing the same thing that you see throughout uh, Better Call Saul with the Jimmy storyline. They can't get Mike to Breaking Bad level Mike right away. Uh, they need to take that and, and have there be a transformation there in order for Mike to have any kind of character growth uh, or, or lack thereof, a deterioration over the course of this series. So I think it's an interesting kind of parallel to see that, uh, to them pumping the brakes on Mike being a killer.
0: Yeah, Mike does not want to go through a... If Mike doesn't want to do a half measure, uh, this is like a a quarter or an eighth of a measure
1: here that Mike goes
0: through with tonight.
1: Yeah, very musical language out of you, Rob. Are you, do you have a metronome sitting by you? Yes, as always. I'm like <laughs> Chuck. Yeah, this is fantastic. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's at least an eighth measure. Uh, there, there's Maybe it's only an eighth measure. This, uh, this isn't a very kind of non-Breaking Bad Mike solution to this problem. Breaking Bad Mike probably does his research, does his homework, uh, and is maybe willing to pull the trigger. This is not Breaking Bad level Mike. This is, I'm willing to take a beating for 25K. And we get Nacho very overtly saying, what's on everyone's mind? Like, you went a long way to avoid pulling that trigger. Why? And of course, that's the question that we as viewers are supposed to be asking ourselves about the Mike character as we find him in the context of Better Call Saul, Not the Mike we know from Breaking Bad. He isn't there yet. And so I think a lot of the story of Better Call Saul now is shaping up to be Mike's journey to that point, similar to Jimmy's journey into Saul Goodman. Uh, Was that worth it, 25K, to get the crap beat out of you? You tell me, Rob, that was a pretty bad beating. He was almost like Gus Fring level half faced by the end of the episode and the beginning, of course. Uh, and I don't know, man, 25K. That's a lot. I, I, I don't know. Listen, this is pre Obamacare. I don't know what Mike's health care situation is like, but I got to imagine there's some broken bones in there, right? You would think so. Yeah, that's a that's a, that's a costly uh, costly surgery to have some bones set in your face. There's usually plastic surgery involved. I mean, I don't know, twenty five k, Rob. That's uh, that's not a lot of money, uh, and it's certainly not even really enough to get a great down payment on a house together for Stacy and Kaylee, uh, unless you want a decent house payment. So I really don't know what Mike's end game is here, but that's pretty rough to go for twenty five k for sure.
0: Well, Mike can take a punch. We do know this now. Also, what about the Tuco
1: Boxing Glove? What did you call that? Is that like a pendant? Yeah, like a charm, a pendant, necklace. Is that worth anything? I, you would think if that's real, that might be worth something. Uh, although it's probably worth more to Tuco than anybody else. I mean, he could probably hawk that for a quarter of its value. Maybe he can take it on Pawn Stars, Rob, and, uh, maybe he can get it autographed by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I don't know. Like maybe there's, maybe there's something he could do there, uh, to get to increase the value, shall we say? But yeah, yeah, if it's real, I mean, sure, that might be worth something. Absolutely.
0: Okay, so we see Mike throughout this episode, he's going through this plan with Nacho and we did debate, who is it going to be? Who is it going to be? And it turns out to be Tuco, which we ended up no already seeing in this universe. Were you disappointed that we
1: didn't see a new, a new familiar face? Uh, we talked about this a lot on the podcast last week, Rob. I can imagine that people are probably pretty disappointed, even though Anytime you get Tuco, it's great. I uh, look the Tuco kind of lie detector, the Larry David lie detector that Tuco put in play tonight, uh, was fantastic. Just kind of, yeah. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> My favorite music ever. <laughs> yes. The Tuco. <laughs> do, 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 do. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. It that, Tuco? <laughs> he's just sizing him up, man. Tuco's feeling pretty, pretty, pretty good, Rob. Pretty good. I mean,
0: I guess Curb is relatively new. Is Tuco
1: just a uh, a big fan? He must be. Tuco is a, is a very, Tuco's a big Jeff Garland guy from what I understand, Rob. No, I don't, I don't know. I, uh, I It's funny. Tuco, human lie detector. This is actually something that is a little bit of a tie into Breaking Bad. He at one point tells Walt and Jesse, and it seems like he's drug crazy, Uh, Tuco at the time, he says, like, I can see the future uh, when he's got him kind of held down. And you think like this Tuco is just nuts on drugs. But apparently Tuco really does fancy himself a human lie detector, Um, which is interesting because in season one, when we saw Tuco, he got super played by by, (laughs) you know, by he he thought that uh, he thought that Jimmy McGill was an FBI agent. And when Jimmy told him he was an FBI agent, Tuco was ready to kill him. And Nacho could see from a mile away that it wasn't true. So Tuco may think he's a human lie detector, but he's probably not that good at it. And that's probably, if you're on the other side of that lie detector, the very worst position to be in.
0: <laughs> right. The Tuco thing was just so wacky in terms of where it was going. And it's not really a payoff other than that Tuco is wrong.
1: Yeah. And that's that's the kind of thing where, like I said, I th- I can see some people being disappointed by this. We talked about last week that it was weird that if it was going to be Tuco, why did Nacho just say to Mike, like, I've got somebody I need you to kill. It's that guy, Tuco, that you just threatened me with. I would like you to kill him. Uh, it was a natural connection to the carrot and stick kind of conversation that Mike and Nacho had had at Nacho's father's business. So why that wasn't presented that way? Uh, well, so it could be a cliffhanger, obviously. Uh, but it just didn't strike me as very organic kind of conversation they were having there. But it did turn out to be Tuco. I think a lot of people wanted it to be Gus. Uh, it didn't make a ton of sense to us last week that it would be Gus. Uh, as for other characters in the in the universe, we talked about people like Crazy 8 who were lower level dealers in Tuco's organization. And we did get Crazy 8 showing up this week uh, with a direct kind of little Easter egg to breaking bad into the uh the tampico furniture business that his dad owned he had the tampico furniture uniform on uh so it's uh it's really you know there are these good connections but i'm really not sure who else it really could have been if it was going to be a connected character other than tuco but the problem is rob and i want to know your opinion on this once it's tuco you know he's not dying Mm -hmm. so were you satisfied with the kind of half measure that we did get where Tuco ultimately ends up in jail and will be out of the Better Call Saul series going forward? Well, not only do we know
0: that Tuco's not dying, we also know how Mike is coming home from this altercation. The episode begins with Mike coming home with the black eye. And I guess we wonder, oh boy, I guess, how did Mike get a black eye in this episode? But then I do feel like that at the point where Mike is going to go there to have a confrontation, you realize that how this is going to end up for Mike also. So you sort of like, know far enough in the future, Tuco's not going to die. Mike's not going to die. Mike's also going to come home with a black eye. Now it's just a matter of connecting the dots. How do we see this happen?
1: Yeah. And I guess my question is, are you okay with the show that gives you a big cliffhanger last week about who it's going to be? And then it ends up being somebody that, you've already seen on the show, and you know is not going to die. And then by the beginning of the episode, you know that Mike's only going to end up with the black eye out of the thing, and you know Tuco's not going to die. And at any point, did you think that mike goes south and that Nacho might die? Or did this all play out pretty much exactly how you thought it would play out based on all that information?
0: No, it seemed like it was a pretty foolproof caper that Mike pulled off.
1: Yeah, it, foolproof, I guess, is is one word. I would say a little bit illogical. We can definitely get into that. Um, Because it's fascinating. Go ahead. But like Walt
0: and Jesse, they would come up with a plan and the plan would always like look good at first and then ultimately not go as anticipated. But Mike's plan seemingly goes exactly as
1: anticipated. Right. And so much could have gone wrong with Mike's plan, by the way. Like, let's say Tuco doesn't say to Nacho, like, hey, yeah, you should go now uh, and give him the give him the van to go. Uh, then then what happens then nachos there and he's an accessory to this incident or he's a witness and the police have his information with a bag full of money by the way yeah like how how does mike know that that's going to happen how does mike seemingly know how long it would take the police (laughs) to get there right like these are all things that could have easily gone south and didn't and to me i don't even think mike's the kind of guy who wants to get involved with the police at all like No fingerprints, no name, no witness statement, no nothing like the little the the less run ins he has with the police, the better. And so it's a little surprising to me that this was Mike's chosen idea that, you know, what I'll do is I'll start a crime here that'll get Tuco thrown in jail. And he's never on the show to cause a fight. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I got it. I mean, I understand why he did what he did uh, in not wanting to kill him. I actually like that for the character. But in terms of this being the plan, it didn't feel like a classic. For a guy who's wiping the fingerprints off the phone Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of reporting the crime, uh, it's a little interesting that he is willing to be at the scene of the crime uh, as a witness to it. So I don't know. it. Seems like Mike's sticking his neck out an awful lot on a plan that could go south.
0: Also, especially considering how in season one, Mike is trying to avoid getting picked up by the police, and he's seemingly trying to keep a very low profile where he is. And I feel like that to give a statement of, I mean, I don't know if he had a fake ID or what, but seems like that this would be Mike Ermatrout and
1: on, on record and a witness in this case. Yeah, and I mean, you listen, Rob, we've watched a lot of uh, criminal television over the last year between uh, Making a Murderer and The People versus OJ and all these shows. There is a gun at the scene of the crime when Mike and Tuco are fighting. In order to get Tuco an aggravated charge, you're going to need to link him to the gun. Now, his fingerprints are, are on the gun, but Mike is the witness who can say, yeah, he pulled the gun on me and threatened me with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and without Mike testifying to that in court, that's not going to stick. So to say Mike wouldn't have to testify, I feel like it's a little convenient and perhaps a little illogical. Uh, and really, it does, to me, doesn't seem to be perfectly consistent with, uh, it's not a guaranteed out. There's always a very good chance he could get called. The cops don't tell you who testifies and who doesn't. That's a prosecutor's call. So I really, it just felt a little sloppy to me. And I should only say sloppy. By the normally very clean and very high standards of this show. Uh, normally, this show, I think, is really on point with these sorts of things. This to me felt a little bit sloppy, but maybe we're supposed to think that. Like, maybe we're supposed to think that Mike's not in the best frame of mind in terms of his decision making. This is a guy ultimately whose sloppiness and pursuing decisions in this realm you know gets him where it gets him and breaking bad so maybe we're supposed to see that this guy's always had a blind spot for kaylee and he's always stuck his neck out and done things maybe he shouldn't for that reason and so maybe we're seeing the genesis of that right here
0: well i think the big takeaway that we're supposed to have is look at the lengths this man will go to to avoid just killing an innocent person and I think just to sort of illustrate just how far Mike still has to go to be the Mike that we're ultimately going to see in Breaking Bad, just that the, the amount of effort that got put into this plan to get the crap beat out of him for $25,000, that by the time we see him in Breaking Bad, just that journey that he still has to take. Like he is not fully formed yet either.
1: Right, and I think that that is the key that we shouldn't expect, and I think we probably can't expect, that is show that it's slow playing Jimmy McGill the way they're slow playing it would fast forward Mike and just have him be a killer right away. Like, yes, we saw him kill someone in 5-0, but that was with incredible personal motivation. And we have to remember that before that, he was a police officer. So he's not always been on the wrong side of the law in this respect. What he's done so far for Price he was a body guy he just stood there uh, while drug deals were going down and that's not the cleanest but Mike has always talked about like you once you're a criminal you're a criminal you can decide if you want to be good or bad but you are a criminal and so I think that's the kind of decision that we see Mike struggling with like'll I'll take money and I'll be a bad guy how bad of a guy that's the struggle we're seeing as you're pointing out and we're gonna see him kind of on that path toward breaking bad uh, and getting there and I think it's interesting he, he remarks at one point too Rob, That if you kill, you know, Tuco Salamanca, the place is going to be crawling with Salamanca's. And we know from Breaking Bad, that's exactly what happens. When Tuco goes down, the cousins show up. And maybe you could have fast forwarded that significantly uh, if that would have happened here. And Mike was at least cognizant of that and didn't want that. Uh, And with, you know, with the DEA and with Walter White, it ends up very different uh, because they make different decisions than Mike did here.
0: Where do you think Mike's story goes from here? Because now it seems like that the nacho part of the story seemingly is wrapped up, that Mike really started off this season with working for Price, which led him to Nacho, and Nacho led him to the Tuco story, but now it does feel as though Mike has reached a place where at least this part of his story is resolved after four episodes.
1: Yeah, I think that that's true. Nacho clearly finds him very intriguing, that he he wants to know that very same question we're asking, Rob, which is, why would you go to such great lengths to not pull the trigger? I think he's very intrigued by that. That said, I think he's probably also impressed by Mike's solution, that yeah, this takes Tuco off the street. This puts Nacho in a position where he can operate a little more uninhibited uh, by a crazy partner like Tuco, uh, and so I think he's a little intrigued by that. And I can imagine that if Nacho needs help with something else, Mike is a call that he's going to make. Remember, he called the vet and requested Mike by name to begin with, so he was already interested in him. And I got to think that after this incident, which Nacho was totally on board with, and which worked out the way Mike said it would, uh, Nacho's still going to be intrigued and interested. So, I think the next question is, where do we go from here? Does he become working hand in hand with Nacho? Is it an occasional thing? Like Mike's still going to want the money for Kaylee and Stacy. so where where's where's Mike's next gig next gig coming from? Probably Nacho, I would think.
0: Let's talk about Jimmy a little bit here and talk about how Jimmy was able to get himself off the hook uh, over at Davison, Maine, but he was not able to get Kim off the hook. Here in this episode, and she was the person that ultimately had to pay for what he did last week with running the commercial uh, in terms of Jimmy not getting in trouble
1: at Davis and Maine. Was that resolved uh, too quickly for you in this episode? Yeah, for me it was. I, I'm I'm curious about you because I know uh, I know for me it was it was the major drama that we were left kind of hanging over from last week. Like be at the meeting in my office 8 a.m. tomorrow. It seemed like it was going to be a showdown at the OK Corral, Rob. Like this is Jimmy going to have to give a real Slip and Jimmy performance uh, to kind of win his job back per se, or or really stay in good graces. And it was a one-scene deal. It was, mm-hmm. you know, snap, bang, it was over. Uh, I, we talked last week about how we didn't think, even with the, the kind of cliffhanger there, that it was going to be the end of Jimmy at Davis and Maine, that you don't cast Ed Begley on this show, and then get rid of Davis and Maine kind of significantly after four episodes. But I'm wondering for you, Rob, if it was wrapped up a little too quickly, too.
0: Yeah, it was a little bit sort of like, guys, come on, guys. Come on. Come on. <laughs>
1: can't do this, Jimmy. You yeah. can't do like, this. All
0: right, Jimmy, this is your last chance. Like, all right, don't worry. But yeah, then we do see where things uh, really did hit the fan where it was Kim that ultimately paid the price. And it was that Jimmy tried to get a hold of Kim before she went into the meeting with Howard and Chuck and he did not get her before then. And she really is the person who gets in trouble for not coming to them and saying that Jimmy was going to be running the commercial.
1: Yeah. And in some ways getting, getting in trouble because of her own lack of, you know, throwing Jimmy under the bus. She could have easily in that meeting thrown Jimmy under the bus and said, look, he lied to me and told me that he cleared it with cliff. Like, and and I think in doing that uh, she could have gotten Jimmy in bigger trouble. And I think that she knew that. And she's ultimately making a decision to protect, to protect Jimmy at her expense here. Uh, and that's really the upshot of that scene uh, when she's meeting with Hamlin and Chuck is that she'll lie for Jimmy and still willing to protect Jimmy. We don't 100% know why. Uh, and Jimmy's trying to make that deal with her and Kim to, to the bitter end says, don't go to Howard. Don't try to clean this up. Don't tell him what happened. And I think Kim still is trying to protect Jimmy. Why? I I mean, I don't know. Is it I, Rob? Neither of us are women. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Neither of us are women. Uh, (laughs) is it that she sees him as kind of a fixer-upper and she really wants to to try to make him better is that your read on this or why is better call Saul (laughs) better better call Saul she's she's trying to make a better call Saul (laughs) Uh, I don't know I mean is that why is she trying to fix him up? like she's She's really seeing him as like a project that she can help and fix. Is that what it is?
0: Yeah, I don't know. At this point, I think that she does have a certain affinity for him. But in terms of romantically, I feel like that, you know, she's very quick to sort of cast him aside. And or I shouldn't say she's very quick. So she probably has like very good reason to cast him aside at this point. And she doesn't seem like she's the person like, hey, we got to fix this. You got to keep doing this. She told him, I don't want to hear about this anymore. In the season premiere, she told him to, you know, knock this off. This is it in between now and then. She told him then following that, that she didn't want to be involved with any of this. uh, When she finds out about how Jimmy was going and getting all the new Sandpiper people. Finally, this happens. She's got to be done with Jimmy.
1: Yeah, although when given the opportunity to be done with him in this episode, and Jimmy's like, uh, you know, she said she basically says, like, if this happens again, we're done. And Jimmy's like, we're not done now? Like, he's very surprised that they're not done, uh, and they're not. She basically just says, I have to work, leave me alone. But she refuses to say it's the end of their relationship. And I don't know. I think it's fascinating that she isn't pushing it all the way through here. Uh, she basically says to him, like, you you should have, you know, you should have known better. Like, what are you doing? Like, what happened? You know, she's got this horrible gig now. She's doing doc review, which let me tell you, uh, is like the bottom rung of the legal industry. And it is it is brutal. You don't always have to sit in a room like that. But on, I I will be on like a dungeon. Yeah, that, it's the steam. It's the steam pipe trunk distribution venue, Rob, which is a West Wing reference. Uh, it is a horrible place to have an office uh, if you're an attorney. But it, it is really a legit kind of thing that I've seen doc review performed in closets like this, like storage closets or like side offices. This is absolutely something that happens. This is unfortunately uh, for people who do it. Not that, not that false. It doesn't ring that hollow to me, Rob, this is a real thing. Um, It it will stick. Uh, So yeah, this is, she's willing to essentially, she's like Mike. She's willing to take a beating for Jimmy. Uh, And unlike Mike willing to take a beating for himself, she's willing to do it for Jimmy. And the question is why? Like, why is she willing to take this beating and and have to stick up with all? All she needed to do was throw him under the bus there. And not. by the way, not throw him under the bus. Tell the truth. Just tell the truth and say, listen, he didn't tell me any of that. He lied to me. Then Hamlin tells that to Cliff. And then that's probably the end of Jimmy for sure. But no, that's not what happened. She just basically makes it seem like she didn't know it. She didn't know it hadn't been done. Like, not that she'd been lied to. So, I don't know why she's lying to protect Jimmy. I don't know why she's still interested. I don't know what her motivation is. I thought Rhea Seahorn was great in that scene, but I'm kind of very intrigued to see going forward. Like, what's the connection here? Why is she so motivated to stay with Jimmy? I think that
0: Kim needs to just meet a different guy. I really think that if she just could meet somebody else, like there are better guys out there than Jimmy.
1: Yeah, well, Rob, I don't know if you saw her cell phone. There's no apps on that cell phone. She's not swiping left or swiping right on anything. There's no Bumble or OK Cupid in those days. So yeah. Maybe, maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe it's a little hard in Albuquerque, Rob. Maybe she doesn't like the artist type. So she's really up up a creek. You know, I don't know. It must be hard for her. So
0: we ended up getting quite a bit of Chuck in this episode. We see Chuck in the meeting with uh, with Kim and Hamlin. And he ultimately doesn't say much there. But we end up with Jimmy going over to Chuck's house. And Chuck is having a whole episode when Jimmy comes in. He's shaking and he looks like that uh, he is uh, really not doing well. Jimmy has to end up putting another space blanket on Chuck to try to help him out. Now, one of the interesting things that I noticed in uh, the story sync tonight was that they highlighted a quote which I want to read to you, please from season one, episode five in the Alpine shepherd boy. Jimmy says to Chuck, whenever you think I've done something wrong, something questionable, you get worse. Yeah. Yeah. That seems to be what happened here, right? It seems as though, and I hadn't made this connection before now. Every time Jimmy commits one of his transgressions, does Chuck end up having another episode, which ends up setting him back physically.
1: Well, it's an interesting question about cause and effect, because if you'll remember in, the first, in that first season, I, it was before the Alpine Shepherd Boy episode, but when Jimmy does the billboard stunt and he doesn't want Chuck to know about it, uh, he basically goes out and he gets all the news coverage, but then he doesn't want Chuck to read his paper. He steals the paper so Chuck can't read it. Chuck is skeptical about this paper-stealing thing. He knows something's up. He's sniffing around it. That's when Chuck forges out into the great beyond and steals his neighbor's paper. And when he steals the paper, he sees the Slip and Jimmy kind of incident with the billboard. And then the police show up in the next episode at his house, and he gets tased, and he ends up in the hospital. Now, that's not a faked incident because of something that happened with Jimmy, uh, with Jimmy's kind of slip with the billboard. That's not a fake incident. The cops did tase him. But Chuck is unquestionably worse off because of something that happened that, that Jimmy ultimately did cause by lying to Chuck. And I think this is very similar here where, uh, where Jimmy has basically forced Chuck to extend himself by going to the office more, by having to be at these meetings, by having to be more present on the case because Jimmy's in the case slipping around. Uh, and so Chuck goes into a greater kind of state of, of whatever, but he doesn't know that Jimmy's going to come over there and dote on him. He doesn't know that Jimmy's going to bang the door down uh, and be there to put a second blanket on him. So I don't think that he's necessarily faking it. Uh, hoping that Jimmy will show up. I think Chuck is a little bit touched. He's a little bit wacky. And I do think that Jimmy getting into what Jimmy gets into does set him off a little bit.
0: But don't you think also that when Jimmy has done things that Chuck thinks are positive, like for instance, when he first brought in the sandpiper case, I feel like that that was a point where Chuck was able to go outside and didn't even realize that he was outside until somebody reminded him that something was wrong and he was near the electromagnetic wave. So I do think that this is probably the thing that makes the most sense since we started talking about this show of explaining away what's going on with Chuck. It just seems like it's some sort of negative reaction to Jimmy's bad behavior. So it's like every time Jimmy takes one more step closer to being Saul, that's where Chuck has an episode.
1: Yeah, it's it's weird because we didn't see a ton of... What could have caused Chuck's initial episodes in the first season? We saw a fair amount of flashback material in the first season. We saw Jimmy in Cicero, Illinois, uh, playing the kind of uh, the first time he says "Saul Goodman" kind of con. Uh, we saw Jimmy when Chuck comes to get, help get him out of trouble for the Chicago sunroof incident. We saw some of those flashbacks. What we haven't seen. Is a Chuck flashback to when did this sort of thing start? We know he's only been away from HHM for about a year and a year and a half, somewhere in there. Uh, when the show, when Better Call Saul begins, but there's some incident that precipitated all of this starting. Was it a Jimmy incident? Uh, was it another relationship Chuck that ha- Chuck had that went sour? Uh, we don't know that, but we know that something precipitated this, if it is psychosomatic or mental uh, in nature, um, and it is a reaction to other people's behavior, which it is seeming like it is a little bit with Jimmy, as you're pointing out, then what precipitated it? Was there a big Jimmy incident or was it something else?
0: It's a really good point of that. Why was Chuck having these episodes as Jimmy was being a public defender?
1: Right, right. And, And he already he was already well into that. And we didn't see in the first season, we again we saw a flashback of to when Jimmy first informed Chuck that he passed the bar. Uh and Chuck's like, Oh, this is great. You know, I can't believe you did this. And trying to play it cool in that moment, we know it it, it made him very angry. So we don't know for a fact that it was Jimmy passing the bar that made Chuck react the way he did. It could have been something else. I don't think that blank has been filled in yet. But if it is that Jimmy's kind of behavior is 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 Feeding Chuck's condition in this way, um, then it would be very likely that we're going to see that at some point that it was Jimmy ultimately passing the bar to to make Chuck you know that made Chuck kind of ultimately get into this position uh, where he where he ended up with the the quote unquote condition uh, that it could have been something Jimmy did just by passing the bar. We just haven't seen that yet.
0: So when Jimmy is at Chuck's house, and then we see that Chuck is really having a setback, and then Jimmy stays there all night to take care of him. The next day, they end up having this conversation, and Jimmy is pleading to Chuck, you have to help Kim, you have to help her get her job back, and Chuck's like, ah, it wasn't my decision, it wasn't my call, it was Hamlin, and so he's trying to broker a deal with Chuck, but Chuck isn't having it, and he says to Jimmy that, hey, life is not one big game of let's make a deal.
1: Yeah, That's too bad, Rob, because that's how I've been operating my whole (laughs) life. Yeah. It's really unfortunate. Every time I see three doors, I have to pick one, like it's very uh, there's usually a donkey behind one of them. It's very unfortunate. But yeah, yeah, you don't want to get zonked. You really don't want to get zonked. Uh, and and that's that's really more than anything. That's a life lesson for sure. But yeah, I I know. This I thought this was a good scene between Jimmy and Chuck. We we've talked about this season and I wanted to even f-chuck to be one of our hashtags, Rob. But I got to say, this episode, I might have been a little bit on Team Chuck. Is that where you were in the scene?
0: Yeah, I felt like that this was a pretty good scene between the two brothers talking about this whole dynamic between them. And I think that Jimmy is trying to give Chuck what he wants. But Chuck ends up sniffing out that maybe Jimmy is just trying to get the moral high ground back and make Chuck into a hypocrite by getting him to agree to what Chuck says is extortion
1: yeah and i I mean, I love that. I love that he's basically trying to get Chuck to lie down with the dogs uh, and I don't know if that's his point. I don't know if Jimmy's really willing to quit the law to help Kim at that point. I think the character can exist on both planes uh, we've seen that throughout the course of the show. Uh, a character that could care so much about Kim that he's willing to do drastic things, uh, but a character also who is willing to kind of run a longer con in order to get what he wants, so it could just be that he's wanting Chuck to really. Uh, be kind of an extortion kind of guy. Chuck sniffs that out right away and doesn't go for it as a result of it. But I'm really not sure what Jimmy's goal was there. If it was to get Chuck to really get his hands dirty or if it was simply to try to save Kim. Uh, and maybe the longer play he hopes is that Chuck will save Kim anyway. But yeah, I, I thought that was a fantastic scene. I mean, I really thought... Both both actors played it really well, uh, playing kind of the the different shades of it. I thought it was written really well, where every time Chuck kind of stuck the knife in a little bit, Jimmy called him out for it. I just thought that was a really great. Yeah, I did like Jimmy's line of, come on, Chuck, roll around in the dirt with me. Yeah, and Chuck saying the ends don't justify the means, which I think is sort of the the ultimate mantra of of Saul Goodman, is that the ends do justify the means. Uh, and it doesn't really matter if you send somebody to Belize or how you get there uh, as long as you get there. And so I, I think that that's fantastic that we're seeing Chuck kind of calling out some of these major character notes in this argument and making some good points. So I thought a really good a really good episode uh, for that dynamic specifically. So
0: where do you think that this story is going now? Are we going to see now Jimmy's main objective is to try to save Kim's job?
1: Yeah, I, that's what I'm saying. I don't, I don't really know. Like, I don't know if, if it is that Jimmy was really just, he was willing to quit the law to save Kim. Uh, I think on some level that Jimmy probably did get into the law in part to impress Chuck. And he, in fact, probably did take the Davis and main job in part to impress Kim. And so, so much of what he's doing with the law is not for him, but to impress other people he hasn't found a way to make the law work in a way that makes him feel who he is. And of course, that's the the trip that he's taking on the show that we know ends up with him doing that. And so uh, in the in the context of that trip, he probably isn't that interested in remaining a lawyer. Uh, that's really, if he's not going to be able to run the angles and if it's going to jeopardize his relationship with Kim and if Chuck doesn't want him to be a lawyer, well then what incentive really is there other than money? And there are probably... Of more fun ways to make money for Jimmy, so I don't know. I, I think it's. Uh, I think he is probably willing to quit the law. Uh, he certainly does quit the law uh, in terms of this way that he's working it now. By the end of the series, right? So he's definitely willing. I think to give up that cushy desk job. Uh, in the and main office, working on a, a corporate case that he can just bill hours on. He's certainly willing to give that up, and, and we will see that happen, obviously.
0: Yeah, one thing is clear that Jimmy does not mind not being a lawyer. He'll do just about anything.
1: Yeah, and I mean, l- look, when we, we kind of began this season, he's floating around in a pool and very happy about it. The only thing he really wasn't happy about that aspect of it is that he couldn't he couldn't have the relationship with Kim, and that Kim sort of pulled him back into that. And so if being if being a lawyer the way that he wants to be a lawyer is jeopardizing his relationship with Kim, he probably is willing to give it up.
0: Okay. Now, Antonio, this is a very important question. Yeah. Do we care about watching
1: Jimmy try to save Kim's job? That's, that is a very important question. And I, I mean, I don't like personally care that much about it because I think there can be a caper run there where Jimmy ultimately makes her look good. Uh, but... I I don't think that she wants that. I think she wants to succeed or fail on her own merits. And I think she doesn't really want Jimmy involved with that. Uh, And so I, on, on some level, the only reason I care is how it relates to the dynamic between the two of them, which I know is doomed, you know, to not, to not go well. And I don't know why it is, but I don't think Kim is present when Jimmy is Saul. Goodman. I just don't think there's any way that she's putting up with that. So I I know it's going to fail. The question is why, And I guess the question is, are we that invested in a, in the answer that's going to be tragic and sad? And I, I mean, I, I think no matter how we get there, it's going to, it's going to be sad because right now I want it to work. So I don't know. I'm not, I'm not super eager to find out uh, why it doesn't work. And it, Jimmy saving her job is probably just going to be part of that.
0: Yeah, I feel like through the first three episodes of this season, I felt like I was pretty invested in that question about this relationship that really did seem to blossom in season two. But I did feel like that tonight, as we got to the point where she's now been burned on by him, you know, three or four, three out of the four episodes, pretty good. And now she's down to having sort of a uh, like, a terrible job or not where she wants to be career wise. I just felt like if we're going to change Jimmy's main objective to trying just to help Kim out in her career goals, I just don't feel like that that is the most exciting place that we could be taking this story.
1: Yeah, I don't think so either. I think that's a one episode arc or or two episode arc throughout the course of this season. And I think the reason that it matters more than anything is that Kim's probably not going to want that and not be happy about it. And so Jimmy's job in that caper would be to make it happen without her realizing, uh, without her feeling like he patronized her or he protected her or looked out for her. That's not what she wants. I don't think. So I think that that's the interesting part of that. And that's about one episode worth of something that could be a kind of a fun caper where he's trying to plan it out uh, and it could go South. And if it goes South, it would just be sad and I don't want to see that. So There's not a lot of pluses to it, and there's a whole lot of negatives that could come about. So I really hope that if we do go forward with that, it's just next episode. Jimmy's trying to make her look good uh, and trying to find a way to get her back in Hamlin's good graces, and that's that.
0: All right, Antonio, what else from tonight's episode?
1: Well, there were a lot of, Rob, we should talk about, there were a lot of other connections to the Breaking Bad universe besides Tuco. Easter eggs. Yes, a lot of Easter eggs. Uh, Almost a half dozen Easter eggs. Oh my God yeah that's enough for like a bachelor like me Rob. You can just have like a half dozen Easter eggs uh you know you can, you get a, you get a whole dozen maybe they spoil um but yeah, this is uh we had kind of a tuco was the one right off the top, obvious you know breaking bad connections with Tuco, but Tuco being a human lie detector was great because we saw it play out with crazy eight. Uh, Crazy eight is a drug dealer who comes up right at the beginning of breaking bad season one, Um, ultimately ends up uh, in a very bad situation as a result of a run in with Walt and Jesse. Uh, And we, you know, you probably remember how all that plays out. Uh, it, It is. In fact, I believe the, you know, you could say the first confirmed hand to hand kill by Walter White. Um, and it's not, you know, doesn't really go well, the story with everything that happens. But the funny thing about crazy eight, Rob, and why Tuco is such a horrible lie detector, uh, is that crazy eight was a DEA informant. Uh, we know that from breaking bad that he would dime out fellow drug dealers. In fact, he's the one who dimed that, that would, you know, that, uh, dimed out Emilio, uh, that, you know, that Emilio suspected Jesse was the one who dimed him out. It was crazy eight who did it. And here's Tuco running the human lie detector on crazy eight and letting him walk out the door. So maybe not the best human light. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Tuco. Yes. Not to. Yeah, I tell you what. Like, uh, he needs to curb his enthusiasm for <laughs> sure. That's something Tuco needs to do. That yeah. is. That is no question. So that was happening. Uh, were you? Were, did you make the connection with the uh, the crazy eight? Did that uh that play well for you seeing him pop up again?
0: You know, I didn't recognize him at first. That in the story sync, I think they mentioned it, but uh, I didn't pick that up just by looking at him.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 great that they've got. We talked again on this podcast that they've essentially got a big wall of names and characters from Breaking Bad on the in the writers' room of Better Call Saul, and they're just sort of cherry picking the opportunities to bring these people into the story. So that was one. We also saw a great kind of. Uh, I love Jim Beaver, the character actor. Who plays the gun salesman. That mm-hmm. Mike is, uh, is kind of all the pretty maids all in a row looking at the guns. Um, that's the same guy who has, uh, sold Walter weapons in the past, uh, and, and not really judged him. Walter's had a couple interactions with him from Breaking Bad. So to see Jim Beaver pop up again, I think great. And I really like the idea. Jim Beaver says, I, I, you know, my business relies on repeat business. So I want to see you again. The idea of Jim Beaver could be a, a more prominent character on the show or make a couple more appearances is very exciting to me. I really love Jim Beaver. So seeing him again was great. Were you happy to see this gun dealer show up again?
0: Yeah, I did like that scene. I mean, ultimately, I felt like that there really wasn't a payoff to the plot here in this episode. It did feel like a little bit like Forrest Gump of just having one of these characters from this show meet one of the other characters from Breaking Bad. I did think that the one interesting nugget that we got coming out of that scene was Mike talking about how the certain uh, rifles that they were looking at, the M40, how that warps, when it gets the water on it and uh mike sounds like uh is mike alluding to when he talks about like before they sent you into a damn jungle uh did mike go to vietnam
1: yeah the great scott st pierre tweeted us a question along these lines he said was this a major revelation inferred of mike's past before being a cop tonight and i think scott's right on and i think you're inferring the same thing as always yeah well as always no question like that guy is second perfect Uh, In terms of editing, like just down to the, down to the perfect time. And so he's, he's got a great ear and an eye for these sorts of things, Rob. And I think Scott's right on. Like, I really do think that, that this was a revelation as you're indicating that Mike did, did serve in Vietnam, maybe even as a sniper since that's a sniper rifle. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he's probably hiding in the jungle and very, you know, high stress kind of environment. And yeah that does add a lot of backstory for Mike. It makes sense that he would come home, become a police officer. Uh, we see kind of a lot of what Mike might be carrying around, uh, from Vietnam. And honestly, that's a show I'd watch that show. I'd watch the, uh, the Mike Ehrman Trout. I don't think we can get Jonathan Banks to do it. <laughs> We've talked about that, but I would love to see the Mike Ehrman Trout, uh, kind of war movie, uh, show. I think that's fantastic. So that is a great revelation. I think it's a great catch by Scott there. Uh, and, I think we're all on the same page about that for sure. Any other Easter eggs from Breaking Bad tonight? Yeah, actually there is one more uh, and it's a great little story that Nacho tells, uh, for why one of the reasons he wants to get rid of Tuco when he shows Mike the scar and claims he still has a piece of bone from dog Paulson, uh, in his shoulder. Dog Paulson is a name, not a character, but a name that is mentioned in Breaking Bad season two. When Hank is at the DEA office talking about Tuco he mentions that Tuco is reputed to have killed Dog Paulson. Uh, and he tells a little story there about uh, them trying to take over some crank business from some biker gangs. And here we have Nacho's version of that story having witnessed it firsthand. So that is a, a, a little connection to a Breaking Bad story uh, that's just kind of a throwaway line in season two of Breaking Bad that we get kind of a fuller backstory on here from Nacho in the season of Better Call Saul. Dog Paulson. Dog Paulson. Yes. Dog Paulson, the bounty hunter. <laughs> Better okay. call dog.
0: All right, Antonio, anything in particular that you are especially looking forward to next week?
1: Well, I think you already kind of hinted at what I expect to be a kind of a, a hopefully a, a quick story next week is Jimmy's going to want to scramble to get back in Kim's good graces uh, and maybe get Kim back in Howard's good graces and how that all plays out, uh, what he's willing to do to do that. I'm not a hundred percent sure. But I think that we're going to see that next week. I also really, I, I really want to see what Mike's next step is. That's a, I think, a really valid question that you've asked. Like now that he's not willing to kill, but he's gone to these lengths with Nacho, and that little arc is wrapped up. Like, where do we go from here with Mike? He's still going to want to get money, make money. Uh, I don't know how he's going to do that, except for, uh, except for you know more of these jobs for the vet. And we already know the two hundred fifty dollars jobs here and there. Don't really move the needle for him. So now that Tuco's out of the picture, is Nacho going to want to get Mike more involved? I think that's very intriguing going forward for sure.
0: Yeah. What will have to happen for Mike to ultimately start to head down that path that gets him to where he needs to be?
1: Yeah. And what is, you know, like he's not willing to buy the gun and take the shot in this episode. We know by the time we see him in Breaking Bad that he's going to be more willing to do that. Uh, even though he's not, you know, stone-cold killer on the show from, from the jump, he's he's in that mindset for sure. And he's already working uh, as a fixer with, with Saul, kind of doing that. So maybe his next move brings him closer to Jimmy or he brings Jimmy into something. Those stories seem to work pretty well on this show. Uh, but I, I think that that's the – I think that's the really – Kind of key thing going forward is I think people are really enjoying this. We've had a couple tweets about this, and I saw a couple tweets online about it. People are really enjoying the Mike story even more than the Jimmy story. So people definitely want to see more of that.
0: Okay. All right. Let's talk about some of these questions that we have from people. What are the listeners saying?
1: Well, Scott St. Pierre did make that observation we talked about. We had a question from Rob's Taboo Buzzer, uh, the buzzer weighed in Rob. That's right. Uh, that was, I think, exactly what he said. So we can move on. Uh, the next question: No, uh, <laughs> Rob's taboo buzzer said, "Isn't Chuck's mailbox just a perfect metaphor for the mail room of HHM?" And I'm wondering, uh, is, is that because in in you have to kind of throw all your take your timepiece off, put your phone away, uh, take all these connections to the outside world off, throw them into the mailbox if you want to go commune with Chuck, and if you have to, if you end up where Kim ends up uh, in in the kind of Uh, hhm universe you're not connected to the outside world uh there's no seemingly no time there's no windows there's no clocks Hmm. you're just sitting there billing and billing and billing away not really connected to anything else uh like you are when you're talking to chuck yeah well uh rob's taboo was very deep with that maybe or maybe that was just my read on it i don't know (laughs) to be perfectly candid i'm not sure i understand the question Uh, (laughs) did you have a different read on it i mean that makes some sense (laughs) <laughs> yeah, maybe, uh, maybe the buzzer and I were on one wavelength, Rob, we have, uh, we keep some similar, uh, we keep some similar, uh, company, I think maybe. So maybe we're on the same wavelength. I don't know. Uh, we had this from Alexandra W. Uh, Alexandra observed at the end when Mike was talking with Nacho and you could see only the beat up side of his face, then he turned and the normal side was visible. Did this remind you at all of right before spoiler alert Gus Fring's death? When you see the unharmed side of his face and then the skeleton one, I know they're not really related, but it struck me as a similar image with the two halves. Rob, do you think there's anything to be drawn from this similarity for sure? I think the story sync drew attention to it as well.
0: I mean, I think that that probably speaks more to the two sides maybe that Mike might have and a side where he could go further into this criminal underworld and the side that we saw more tonight where he's trying to kind of not go to that place where we will see him ultimately go in Breaking Bad. But I don't think it's necessarily having anything to do with the Gus Frank thing. I just feel like that that was a cool shot more than something metaphorical.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I think that it was a cool shot. It is interesting knowing what we know about how both, uh, both Gus and Mike end up because of their interactions with Walter White. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is a kind of a parallel with those two characters there in that Walter ultimately ends both of their worlds. Uh, so it is, uh, other than that connection, now they've got this also literal connection, or I should just say metaphoric connection, as you're saying, with the pictures on the screen. So I think that that, that is interesting. And I don't think it's on accident. I think Alexander's right on. Uh, with the way that that was sort of composed, that that was certainly uh, on purpose. Um, we had this from the great Johnny D. Silvera, Rob. Yes, uh, JDS. Johnny wants to know. He doesn't who's like going- JDS. He doesn't like JDS. I'm uh, sorry, JDS. Sorry, Johnny. Uh, Johnny Silvera. Johnny D. Silvera wants to know. Who's going to go full tilt first, Mike killing someone or Jimmy becoming full Saul Goodman? Well, that's an interesting question. It's a bit of a horse race, right? It is. It's a little bit of a horse race. Uh, it, it, and that's, I think is, I think that I think we would have before this week, wouldn't you have said Mike unquestionably, Mm-hmm. unquestionably, right? Like we've, we know both have the capability of doing these very, uh, these very kind of sketchy things. We saw a lot of that out of Jimmy in season one. We saw Jimmy, directly committing criminal acts in, uh, in in terms of fraud and things like that in the flashback. So we know he's gone full Saul Goodman already in his past, but he's trying to stay away from that now. We know Mike has murdered someone in his past. He's trying to stay away from that now. So the question is, is it, is it something where after this week we feel like it's even a close race? Because like I said, for this week, we would have said Mike all the way. If I had to guess, I will say that
0: something Jimmy does ultimately brings Mike to the point where he has to go full Ehrman
1: Oh, interesting. And not the other way around. Not something Mike does makes Jimmy full Saul Goodman. Do you feel that it's likely that Mike gets
0: himself in the kind of trouble where he needs the help of Jimmy McGill? I feel like it's much more likely that Jimmy McGill gets himself into a situation that he ends up really needing the help of Mike to get him out of a tough spot
1: yeah I think this is uh I think we're gonna have to uh i think we're gonna have to make a bet here rob and see which one of us is the knowingest know it's all uh, <laughs> uh that's i mean i don't Might know what be else, you after that i don't know i don't know what else to say we're gonna figure out who the knowingest know it's all is because because I think it could go either way I think you're one hundred percent right like that seems totally feasible to me uh but it also seems feasible to me that Mike is going to get so involved in the criminal underworld uh, one way or the other that he either he's going to kill somebody or he's going to have gone down that road and gotten so mobbed up that he's going to pull Jimmy in with him, that he's going to go down the drain first and pull Jimmy down the drain as he's going around the drain. And Jimmy's just going to jump in. He's going to jump right toward the drain because he wants it. Uh, but I think that Mike being connected to the underworld is always the sort of thing we felt like could pull Jimmy in. Uh, and so it makes sense to me that it would be Mike first and then Jimmy, but I think you're right. I think it could easily be that Jimmy really screws up and needs, needs some real dirty work done. But at that point, if Jimmy's asking for the dirty work to be done, isn't he full soul at that point? So you're right. I think you're right. It could be that.
0: All right. Well, I think that has to be the hashtag. No, it's all.
1: (laughs) No, it's all. Yeah, that's a good one.
0: All right. Great job. Once again, Antonio, of course, uh, Antonio and I will be back, uh, to talk on most shows, recap, uh, this week, this weekend though, uh, you guys talked to agent
1: Carter. We did talk agent Carter on most shows. Recap the, uh, perhaps critically acclaimed but not ratings darling agent carter which seems to be a theme with a lot of our most shows recapped rob uh but we're uh, yeah josh and i talked about agent carter you're not a big superhero guy rob you weren't there
0: uh, i am a middling superhero guy who's your favorite superhero rob i mean i probably have to say you know superman or batman i'm a casual i'm a casual superhero guy
1: casuals have you seen these avengers movies
0: uh you know i've seen i'm probably if i had to say i'm more of a dc guy than a marvel guy
1: oh so you're not you're 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 casual enough but you are also not casual enough to know the difference so there you go you know i like
0: the x-men i feel like i didn't really grow up reading the comic books so i didn't really grow up with a lot of the marvel characters and they don't really appeal to me as much as sort of like the classic dc characters
1: yeah, so you're going to be first in line for Batman versus Superman in a, in a few weeks, here, huh? Well,
0: I hear it's not that great, but I, I am certainly <laughs> excited about it.
1: Uh, well, we maybe we'll get a maybe we'll get your thoughts here on post show recaps on a, on a on a like a little. No, you don't need me. You somewhere. don't need me for that. We need we need Josh Wiggler. We need Kevin Mahadeo. Uh, I I pinch hit there and talked about Agent Carter. That was a really good one. Uh, and so we we had some fun. We it's a that's a really fun show, Rob. Uh, I've seen it a little bit and it does
0: seem very fun. I like the period.
1: Yeah, a little period piece, L.A. noir in the second season. There's a lot to like about Agent Carter.
0: Okay, we hope that you guys had a lot to like here today talking about Better Call Saul. We'll be back again. Next week, all week long, I have been talking about the House of Cards, uh, which is also a very fun fourth season of that show. And uh, we are doing about an episode a day. Myself and Zach Brooks here on Post Show Recaps as well.
1: Yeah, I've been loving the podcast coverage there of, of Post Show Recaps. It's really fun because I think most people are binging that show and you guys are doing a great thing where you're watching an episode and you're podcasting about it having no knowledge of what's to come. Mm -hmm. So it's fantastic to hear you, knowing a couple of episodes ahead of you guys, what happens to hear your theories on what's going to happen. I think that's a really fun podcast experience. If you're binging House of Cards, I highly recommend it.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit of like, we're at the buffet table, we're gorging ourselves, and then we're sort of like getting up and walking around. Trying yeah. to digest what happened before we go back into the trough.
1: Yeah, and you're like, listen, we didn't have the steak this first go round. I wonder if the steak will be good. And Zach <laughs> says, you know, I think the steak might be a little salty. And you're like, I think the steak might be a little tough. And having eaten the steak already, we know which of you is right and which of you is wrong, and that's a really fun experience.
0: Yeah. All right. We can check that out as well on postshowrecaps.com. All right. So that's gonna do it for us here tonight on Better Call Saul. You can make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash BCS iTunes, and then we will talk to you next week. Take care, everybody. Bye.